0: All right, welcome, listeners, to the, the Banquet Hall Podcast. Uh, I am blessed and excited to be joined by the one, the only, Andre One K. Andre, how are you doing today, my brother?
1: Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, of course. We, we're lucky to be in your presence. Uh, today's topic: we're talking about why the Lakers are the best franchise in sports, and Andre has You
1: He's meant to run a show. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't
0: see. We didn't. We, I mean, did you look at the updated agenda though? The one that saved, like updated, new, new agenda.
1: Number oh, the
0: first. new, new. I'm, I'm only at updated new, so I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing. When you save files, like it's, I saved it as an updated new new, so I that you knew which one we was talking about. I, I should have deleted the old one, so you know we'll just go off the original runner show since that's the one you was looking <laughs> at. If. And we'll get you to talk about the Lakers at another time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, listeners, if this is your first time checking out the banquet hall, make sure you follow the podcast at banquet hall pod and text a friend right now for them to tune in so they can hear more about Andre's story. Uh, but Andre, this first question that I start the podcast was I don't even know if you know this or if I said this to you directly, but I feel like you inspired the first question of this podcast and just this like, uh, the podcast in general because with the podcast i always start asking people where they're from and the reason why i feel like i thought a lot about you with this question is because having gone to college with you and we'll get into that in a bit uh one of the things that i noticed is whenever anybody asks you like where are you from or where's home for you there's always a pause and a like You analyze the situation a bit to see like, okay, how, how much am I about to share with this person? How much time we got? Do you really care? Because home is such a involved thing for you. So I was like, what would it be like if you were to have a podcast episode where you could talk as long or as in depth as you want about whatever home looks like for you? So I've had a lot of fun just hearing people's stories about where home is for them. And I'm excited for the listeners to finally hear you answer the question, where are you from and what does home mean to you? Wow,
1: that's a great starter. Um, So, I lived in, so I'm like 28 now. So, well, between the time I started school, so kindergarten to high school, I switched schools something like 12 or 13 times, and then uh, I went to, I lived in. Uh, started in North Carolina, Shelby. That's where I'm from. That's where I like grew up at. Um, but then I lived in Virginia, lived in Florida, lived in Texas, and lived in California. So like, um, that was like basically all of my formative time. I would always go back to North Carolina. So I would say like, if it's a physical place, that would be it. But as far as home, I feel like um. I found that home is more so within me and the the people so like um and I feel like the more that I leaned into that it helped me be more I would say in the present and not like kind of um in this future mindset of like okay somebody's gonna ask me like where am I from and I'm gonna have to like because you would see it like like my eyes would kind of glaze over (laughs) because I'm just like this is some random person that I know this whole conversation is only gonna be 30 seconds so I'm just like (laughs) I'll give a quick like I went to high school in California because I'm starting the story at where it's relevant so I went to high school in California um and I got into UCSD. all right so and then if it's like oh, like, you sound like, like, you don't sound like you are from here. Now I gotta be like, oh, well, I'm from North Carolina, moved around a little bit, and then I ended up here. Like, sometimes I'll just speed run. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> just speed run because um, I think one of the things about me is, like, I take seriously those things. Maybe it's because I'm from a smaller town, or I'm from like, a smaller place, but like when somebody asks you where you're from, we're fully prepared to be sitting on this porch for the next, <laughs> like, until. So like, you feel free to have at it. There is nothing <laughs> else to do. <laughs> like, I I I I just there's nothing else to do. So, um, I do miss that like about home, and I think um it's more challenging to configure when you're in a very, like, busy, busy place.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Because it's from perspective. I always tell people this, but Shelby is, like, smaller than the campus of UCSB in terms of population. So, like, this is a lot
2: for your boy. I don't even (laughs) sound real.
1: This is a lot for your boy, like, just, you know, coming from that, and then being plopped here like just dropped here like i didn't i didn't know it was gonna be like you know what i'm saying i'm i i went to high school uh in the ie so like in like mobile and stuff like that like i was around there i went to mobile high school and you know that shaped me too like i feel mm-hmm. like um i don't know anybody that's went to that high school double salute we i feel like we all <laughs> just know i don't know but just coming from there and then realizing i'm at like at least for how they measure schools like i guess not a good school in terms of the tiers or whatever Uh um, i think what it was was like it was good people so i feel like that was something that just shaped me so uh middle school i lived in texas um and i think that was kind of the blend of both, like California and like North Carolina, because it's mm-hmm. like it's a lot going on, but not a lot going on at the same time. Like, and I miss I miss it. I don't miss the weather at all though. Um, <laughs> they go here talking about it was 110 degrees and 111 degrees. Um,
0: listen, nah, I'm cool off of that.
1: I'm, I'm gonna be 100 with you. I used to have to wake up saturday mornings i'm talking six brother i'm talking six on a saturday like from a from a week because i mean if you wait too long you you might pass out like people legit pass out grabs. like it's, a, it's a, a cool thing
2: that's wild <laughs> like
1: and but i think outside of that like i feel like just the i feel like the community element of being in like texas like just the whole city come into the game, to the high school regular mm. football game. They stadiums is bigger than UCSD. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, just the, I guess the word is minutia, but the whole vibe, of, it's kind of like that in North Carolina, too. Uh, Like the whole, everything shut down because everybody at the game. So, you know what the mm. thing to do tonight is? <laughs> Either go, go to the game. game or go to the game like this and like what's after the game you know those everything's surrounded around something and I think just being in California um it's hard to find those like things where the whole like old, like multi-generational things that people do because I don't experience that a lot like every age group is gonna all do this like nah it's like it ain't really like that all the time and I know that it's different once you have like family out here of course but like my entire family's in North Carolina basically so there's not as much like off chance uncle so and yeah. like you know blah blah is like all of that's happening back there so I think um but overall I think home is like something that I had to understand is within me like and I make home wherever I'm at like if I I just got a book bag and a pair of shoes how I make home wherever I'm at and I think that's something that I learned um over time just to um like focus on what those parts are that we can be a part of and not so much on like I guess this idealized view of what everybody got or everybody else doing, um, because a lot of that stuff's like made up anyway too. So that's right. People focus on the people.
0: Focusing more on the people, and I just want to give the listeners kind of a glimpse into what you mean when you say that, like Shelby's smaller than population of UCSD, just off a quick. Google search for 2021, the population of Shelby, North Carolina was 21,947 people. UCSD, like the population of undergrads alone is over 30,000 students. That's not to mention the the tens of thousands of staff on campus and graduate students. There's multiple hospitals on campus, people in general, uh, people at the beach. There's just so many people in your natural vicinity and so like going from somewhere where there's only twenty thousand plus people then you got to live in the biggest like we like, the second biggest state of texas and like having like those communal things or even though this is big ass place like everybody's still coming together to do this centralized activity and yeah i never really heard you talk about like that like the act of like the high school football games and that being like a town now to come to this because you really don't see that in a state like california with these big cities where there's just always something else you could do if you're not interested and the closest kind of remote landing point i could think of is still high school football games growing up in the city of la but like you said it's if you have family or you went to school in these areas because uh we i feel like i just talked about this on the podcast with joy actually when joy was on the podcast we're talking about how everybody in the like catholic school circle would go to the serif high school football games on friday but at the same time it's like if you ain't feel like doing that there's plenty other shit you could do in la Yeah,
1: like like somebody could just be like Ate a Lakers play tonight <laughs> down the street. <laughs> you wanna go to that? You still wanna go play uh, a Mario Kart at your homie crib? Like no, <laughs> like, <laughs> like so. I think that's what uh, I appreciate that though. Like I always like like going to L.A. I feel like L.A. is the closest thing to. Shelby as California, like LA and kind of like the IE and stuff like that is the closest thing because when you, like when you're not like downtown, I would say when you're in a world, it's like, it feels the closest thing to, it's just like beautiful, like just (laughs) like just like, I'm over here looking like, dang, that movie actually was shot right there. Like, that's why that looks like <laughs> that. Wow, I actually know where I'm at right now. um Wow, this is actually beautiful, what's going on. And I just always appreciate like, those experiences, because it helps connect me more to what brings us together. Like, and I've met all people of all, all these different places, all these different cultures, and usually it's got something to do with some food, something to do with Mm -hmm. activity, or we just come to support. Like, like at least on the high school football thing, teachers will be at the game just because one of their students is starting linebacker for the first time. And they like, Oh, you got to come to my game because I'm starting tonight or something. And now they brought the A kid. Like it's just this whole thing where you start to build connections and, um, I think it can be done it's just once it's intentional um it's just about like choosing that you know but i think i think that's the main thing
0: ah uh, i totally feel you on that um so when it comes to transitioning all the way across the country you grew up in shelby got to live in texas florida uh lived in california so you've had a lot of experience in different places a lot of experiences building community, meeting people. And so I want to transition to talk about how we first cross paths. So uh, one of the reasons why I really wanted to start with asking where you're from, like, of course, I ask everybody that question, but really emphasizing that point of how much you say about where you're from in different situations. Because I do think that as you progress through your time at UCSD, in certain spaces, you might say more or less than where you're from. But I will never forget our very first in-person interaction, but I need to kind of walk us up to the in-person fact. So uh, some of y'all recognize Andre from the Natural Nazis podcast, so forgive me if you're hearing this story for the second time on a podcast, uh, but for the listeners who haven't heard us tell this story before, I came into UCSD as a bright-eyed young 17-year-old Black man from Los Angeles, California, who really... Didn't have a lot of understanding of what I was getting into at UCSD. Uh, I just knew that I really wanted to play 2K. That
1: was, I mean, that was, I, I was the same. I was coming in, you know, thinking, wow, hundreds of people, that's my age. What do hundreds of people my age do?
0: we all
1: play 2k that's all we all do that's all i know that's all my friends do is yeah
0: that's just that's just what makes sense and not only are there thousands of people here we have our own class of 2017 facebook group so i can easily you know step outside of my comfort zone and just let's let's make friends let's do the college thing so i logged my black ass onto facebook and posted (laughs) In the UC San Diego class of 2017 Facebook page, who want they asked kid in NBA 2K? And it was crickets for a while. But then your roommate commented, or one of your sweetmates commented, I was like, Oh, my roommate, but you understand and you was like, Oh, yeah, I'm down to play. I was like, bad. And you was black, and I didn't I didn't know that was a big deal at that point. I'm not even gonna lie. I was like, hey, because when I first when we first leaned, it just felt
1: like this nigga played 2K. That was I that mean, was it. Cool. Like, we cool now, but I'm just saying, at the time, like, I've always just randomly played random niggas. Yeah. Nigga, nigga, nigga. We played 2K that one time. So, yeah. it was not a, a... It wasn't as, like, I don't know when they say, like, the Immaculate Reception or something. Yeah. It,
0: it was, was a, just, it was real regular. I didn't know that I wasn't gonna find another Black person for two months after that moment. <laughs> I just knew that this person wanted to play 2k and so I even our first interaction was so simple it was like oh what's up I'm Andre I'm Kyler where are you from LA where are you from Shelby in my head I was like where I don't care we just about to go play 2k at the door
1: <laughs> and then like I just was sitting there we was playing the game right and I was noticing similarities in your door <laughs> In my door, and the similarities were just, huh, we're just playing 2K like just us two. nobody got rise, nobody got next. nobody's like on the sticks as I walk in. there's no music playing there's there's just like bro controller. I, I think I might have brought my controller and yeah that that was it usually this is a whole affair there's there's a minimum of six people
0: at least
1: just and then it's a bigger room like so you naturally you thinking like oh we could be in here really kicking it like for real nah nah, it
0: was it was just us um we can or cannot go into the details of said game. I, I will leave that up. Nah, to we understand.
1: can go into the details. I lost. I lost. And this started a long trend of just like, because I'm never, like, I don't like losing. I already know that. But when I play video games specifically, I just be like, yo, like, I lost, I lost. All right. Man, it was some wild stuff happening in these games, man. And, I, hey, I'll take my L's, but I was like, yo, um, <laughs> I think one time Chris Paul double dribbled. I was like, they can double dribble on the game? <laughs> like, I was like, I didn't even know they called
0: double dribble. Like,
1: But bro, why is that even
0: programmed? into? Why would Chris Paul double dribble? Chris Paul was, I think that was the biggest issue because it was like the game was like, yeah, everything's going right, but what if – what if Chris Paul just double-dribbled right now? Let's use that
1: one-in-a-billion code we wrote in this game, and let's use it on Andre right now in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't know. It'll just be stuff like that. And, you know, but, hey, it is what it is. My little my little brother, he be he nice on the sticks. He, It's bad how it is now. I think I've gotten to that point to where I might need to put my sticks in the rafters, man, because he won't smoking <laughs> us smoking all, all of us though like 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 he was hitting threes with single <laughs> like,
0: whoa. oh he nice with the sticks man yeah. but um here we are a game of 2k almost 10 years ago and here we are on a podcast together once again um, but I think that it's one of my favorite stories to tell, just because it's like you never know what like minor interactions will blossom into. Because I had no idea if I was ever going to see you, especially after I was like, "Oh damn, I want to." I was like, "Yeah." Well,
1: and then I left. I was like, it wasn't even like no, like man, like I'm gonna get her next time. I was just like, "Hey, I'll holler at you, dog." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was it, man. I will let you, man. I didn't even think. I was like, I guess, because there wasn't no, there was no one to play next. So then, that's weird. I don't know if you, for the folks that don't play two K, it's kind of strange to keep playing somebody back to back to back to back to back to back. It's it's just you don't. It just start to get kind of like. Eh.
0: Yeah, nah, it's totally. Um, but I want to kind of fast forward a bit. Uh, Not necessarily to any specific point in time at UCSD, uh, but uh, for the listeners, obviously through the story, you can tell Andre's another one of the UCSD mafia, Um, but I think that it's just so hard to condense all of our UC San Diego experiences into a podcast segment, but the thing that kind of came to mind as I was preparing for this episode was, and give me a little runway to kind of set this up, but I think when you come into a college environment in such a different environment and in this bubble of UCSD, you're learning and unlearning just so much. You're learning like grand topics in your major. (laughs) Then you're learning about blackness. Then you're learning about misogyny and homophobia and transphobia. You're learning about all these isms, classisms, ableism, it's a lot of just general information. And I think that what was like essential to my UC San Diego experience was the fact that I knew that I had someone else who also was understanding how much we're learning and unlearning and how important it was for us to have like a safe space in each other and our the dorm that we lived in being on like different boards and stuff together to just be able to talk about like, yo, what happened today? Because I think, especially as it pertains to our positionality and thinking about intersectionality as Black men, there's a lot we're learning about Blackness, and within Blackness, a lot of we're learning about how Black women and Black queer and trans people have been very much impacted by like intersections of all these isms and whatnot. So there are times where like we can't just take up that space in these meetings and spaces to talk about like, oh, whatever my experiences as a Black man. We knew that there was a time where we could have that, and I think that where our friendship really blossomed was a lot of those times after a BSU board meeting or just after an event where we just back at the dorm and we're just unpacking that day or unpacking what's going on for the last couple of weeks. So uh, the question I have to kind of jump us off into the conversation is what was the importance of like having healthy black male friendships at UCSD for you?
1: I feel like, I feel like it, it made it to where there was a growth process happening and not just like because healthy to me meant like growth so Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like man i'm just gonna stay the same through this whole rest of this time but it was like yo like people putting me on to jobs people putting me on to opportunities put me on to there put me on to like a lot of different things and like I think it's also understanding how diverse a group like a room full of us as black men, like when we had like the black men's collective, that mm-hmm. was something like um us and, and Derek, we kinda like kinda made happen and start a little bit. So um in those spaces, it was some of the first times where I felt like you a genuine effort was made by somebody to either a really dive into a topic or b listen (laughs) because i think sometimes like um for myself like sometimes i'll go in there and i wouldn't even really say too much because people are already saying what they like what's being said and just being able to listen um but i think all of those experiences help to shape the breadth that you can express and not just like oh here's the cookie cutter way to express um here's the cookie cutter way to be accepted because in those rooms we have people that was professors all the way to like i'm in my first year all the way to i'm a grad student trying to start getting my like so we're getting a breath. It's kinda of like that multi-generational thing I was telling you about. Like, I think there's more of that needed than can be explained just because I was put onto a lot of stuff just because it was some great, like, you know, um, you know, elders of the space that was like popping in and was just like, yo, like that's what we experienced when we, we already know went through y'all age twice. <laughs> <laughs> and so they over here like really being wise but they're also listening to where we at and it feels like an actual fusion of progression um and I think that's something that I always left any conversation with even if I disagree especially when I disagree because when I disagree it forced me to sharpen my steel a little more like get back in the book or get back in the you know get back into the literature like um and so that's that's
0: how that's what i was say no i think that's wonderfully stated and just going along with like literature and learning and being in these spaces of course i feel like whenever it comes to talking about ucsd sometimes you get lost like what did you actually come to college for like uh, at the end of the day like we're doing all this stuff you also had class like throughout the weekend, and whatnot and so at uc san diego you were a poli sci major Uh, So what led you to wanting to pursue poli-sci? And you could talk about at UCSD in general. You could talk about uh, what type of influences. what, What led to you coming into political science?
1: Yeah, so I started, I got in for structural engineering, and then I switched. So people always, like, they're like, wow, that's such a, like, you know, drastic difference. And I'm like, yeah. But I think the it wasn't just because I felt like it. Like, I went to the club, the little Mm -hmm. hearing club. I went to conferences. I was in the classes. I was in the labs doing experiments. Like, I immersed myself fully into the experience. I went to my professor's office hours. I went to the grad student office hours. I went to the study groups. I went, like, I... I went 10 toes and I left with no out of care of any of it <laughs> I did not care and I didn't expect that like I love like I think it's it's one of those things where you find out like something's like a hobby or something that's like you kind of are interested in but as far as your limbs, it's I don't think I was at a level where I was like yeah I want to like pursue this and do this because
2: mm-hmm.
1: they they showed us hands-on stuff like it wasn't like like i would like the engineering program is you dope. Know, like I, I mean it was one of the best in the world for sure but when they was doing powerpoints and presentations look at this bridge basement <laughs> yeah we poured this concrete out we measured out The strength and tensile strength of the steel in between and then yeah we use this special kind of steel but yeah this is this basement we made and it's like whoa (laughs) like on one end like it's amazing that it it takes this much effort and mind power to create all these things we see all over the place on the other end I was like whoa I'm gonna I'm just not gonna i'm just i'm just not gonna be able to do that (laughs) like i feel like had i been maybe in a environment that was like i feel like there's always multi universes. like they always they bring it up now i think it's like trendy because there's all these like multiverse and Mm -hmm. oh there's all these different things but i honestly think there is a universe where maybe i'm at like hbcu or something in the engineering program and i'm like I have a hands-on professor, and I'm like, like, they really, like, the social justice aspect to it is just ingrained inherently in what I'm in and stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was, I wasn't going to finish school if it was going to be about what it was for other people. Because that's all, it was. oh, you get a get an engineering job, you get some of money. And I found out how much people was making just in anything. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, yeah but you know it might not be like an instantaneous thing where as soon as I graduate I'm just like at this level but um I think I was comfortable with the fact that I was gonna leave with a lens and a mindset shift that I haven't experienced in my family like I've always had people that like to work and had great jobs and great work ethic um and I think the reason that I picked poli-sci was more so because there wasn't a black studies program. Like mm-hmm. I, I minored in African-American studies, but if there would have been a major when I was a student, I would have been, that was what I would have majored in because, um, I don't know, dude, I guess the best way I can describe it is like, it. it's fantastic to be specialized and want to kind of like, do those specific things but I think at the time I was like I want to I need to know about myself and my folks on a holistic sense before I try to like step out and just go like go out into the world and do that and I think um some big influences to that was um being involved with BSU and like ABC and stuff like that and just like feeling how much learning about one another and teaching one another learning about black people that's going to fuel me forever so I'm content with like teaching and learning about blackness and black people you know until (laughs) (laughs) so I knew it was going to take passion like that to finish because I feel like Um, it was just hard to go through class and do all that stuff. It was just hard, you know what I'm saying? But I think um, that's gotten me to a point where I'm like, yo, like, for as long as I live, if I'm on this path and I'm going to be learning about Black people and Black stuff, like, I'm going to be satisfied and happy with myself. And Mm. that's more of what I took away and the most valuable thing I took away because... Now that I'm older, I'm so happy I did that because then I would have just been in a situation like trying to figure out our pivot career, career, pivot life, do all of this stuff. um, Because I wasn't staying true to what I knew at that time. Like mm-hmm. at the time, I already knew what time it was. I was like, this is cool though. Like if if you've never been in those labs, it's cool. Like we made a whole bridge. Like we had like this machine that would test the strength of the bridge
2: mm. and we
1: made it out of like popsicle sticks and stuff but they had a whole machine to really test the pressure and force of the different parts of the bridge and the weak spots and we got to go back and improve it And st- like it's, it's it was real cool like I'm not like I wanna I, I'll be telling people all the time like like cause it's this stigma of like you know oh, we all gotta be in STEM mm-hmm. and it's like man, some people like They do the STEM and it just for them, all the ingredients together didn't come together. And they also wanted, I would have had to do a fifth year, all type of stuff. So I was Mm. like, Yeah,
0: that's a lot of factors there.
1: Yeah. So I think, had I been in an environment where it was more inclusive of like, you know, hey, we all trying to, we all black engineers trying to get up out. And I was involved with NASB too. I think what was hard. Well, in my experience at least was like everybody like there wasn't a consensus of people in your engineering track so like mm-hmm. um it wasn't like there was five or six structural engineers that was in Nesby all with me in the same year it was like oh that person mechanical that person nano that person and it was it, like that's very good but I think I might have needed like Way more of an academic enclosure in, in, in into it that I don't think existed
0: um, at the time. So, yeah, I love that retelling of your academic journey because I think you mentioned a few things in there that I think is important for people to hear. But uh, the one thing I want to specifically highlight as kind of an eventual segue too, but um, is just you talking more in depth about. Why learning about like Black people is important. Cause I know that when you are at the Thanksgiving table or at dinner of family, and it's like, oh, yeah, like I'm taking African American studies classes, it's like, oh, what job is that gonna get you? Or where the money at in that? And I think that through like just the conversations at UCSD and uh, talking to people like Dr. Childs and Dr. Maya Hines, like getting to know like the ways that we can incorporate African American studies into any career field. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. So I guess a jump off point for that is like, when you look back at some of your African American studies classes and just your desire to pursue more of that, no- more of that knowledge, what would you say is one of the more important things or the most important thing that you gained from just being able to be exposed to your, your history and culture in that way?
1: I would say it connected me to our, our uh universal truth of uh, my experiences in these different places with black people because in florida i was around black dominican people black haitian people uh black people from um like belize black people from jamaica black people like so then in north carolina it's more so like you know i don't know what i i still don't know what they call I guess I hope they have a word for it. But just like I guess I guess what do they say? Like descendants of slavery, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I guess that's what the word is, but uh and then in California it's been like a lot more uh like people that's from like West Africa, East Africa, South Africa. So then I'm able to put together all these experiences and then it's like when i have a thought like i'm not just like a what do you call like equity diversity officer or like mm-hmm. expert or something i'm not i don't, I wouldn't say that i'm like i mean i got a certificate. like I I, I I got i got my paperwork now but i wouldn't say that that's my practitioner it would mm-hmm. be more so like i'm able to answer a question if we have a group of black students and we want to do this or this or black people in general and we want to do this event or we want to do this program um what are some things to consider um who might need to be uplifted in that space like i can really look at some stuff and give like a way to go about it you Mm -hmm. know i think a lot of times people think there's an answer but it might not appear yet you might need to go talk to some people and that often isn't met well with, <laughs> like, you know, because they think, oh, I'm talking to the Black person, so the Black person knows what the Black people want. But, nah, I mean, I, I'm like, you're hearing from a Black right. person. And the more that people realize we're not a monolith, but we do share similar qualities, that's what I, you know, that's why I believe in Pan-Africanism and just, like, bringing together... um. All of us under a united front because we do have that similar experience of being black in this world and um, material consequences, too. Like, I think that's more of what I'd be seeing is like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, the police didn't really care that he liked Yu Gi Oh! or he, you know, was a part of the Nigerian um like you know student council or something like there's there's so many layers to that they shave off when they Uh just throw us in cages and throw us in um uh like lynch mob settings they take away all that now use some name and now they're measuring up like oh they played the flute too and now all the flute players is playing the flute in in honorarium and i think all of that's cool i just feel like it gets to be taken away like all of those layers only come back after somebody already gone and it's like that that always um that always strikes me as like just weird Mm. so i'll be running to do that while people hear you know what i'm saying like how do we show that diversity while people is here in a joyous moment in a positive moment in a progressive moment um and I feel like a lot of that takes like you know folks coming together and stuff but um I don't think I'm like you know I got all the answers or nothing but what I do know from my experience matching up to what I've read and what I've researched and studied um like I've done a, a research project on um, the invisibility of rural black America. So mm. um, what that basically looks at is when we look at media, we look at culture, we look at movies, I ask people all the time, what movie have you seen based in the South that's depicting black people in present day?
0: And mm. the movie they name,
1: ATL.
0: That's kind okay of my first for me.
1: <laughs> and then you might say Hustle and Flow The thing that ATL and Hustle and Flow miss about the rural experience is like you're not able to see the like space in between, (laughs) like because everything kind of feels like on top of each other a little bit. But um, even in stuff like that, like there's not a lot of literature on it. Um, When I was doing my project, it was actually kind of hard to do a little bit because. There wasn't a lot of literature on it, which I know eventually, like when I go to grad school and stuff like that will be, I guess, technically a good thing <laughs> like for technical sakes, because like, oh, that means there's you could, there's something to bring to the literature or something. Um, and I'm sure probably now there's more. But at the time, especially, there wasn't like um, a whole lot on it. So I had to use different sources. So I use the uh, interview that my grandma did of my great grandpa and um basically she was interviewing him um about his time growing up and I have the tape and stuff and then what was wild is while I was doing the um research for it um there was a like baby noise in the back like Like yelling or something, and then my grand and my grandma says, "Andre, be quiet." (laughs) And so I'm listening to it on the tape, and I'm like, "Yo, this is like Like time travel. (laughs) like, Like some time travel type stuff." Um, but I think like that gave verified facts. Like he was he wasn't like doing no like he was giving verified facts like about um like the gi and i was able to go through his timeline and look at the discrimination <laughs> mm. like i was able to line up discrimination with the points that he was speaking to and how we got to where we were today and then it's just like wow this is such a untapped part of the experience because you know i think a lot of times um, even going back to the Great Migration, because what people don't know is the reverse migration has been happening since the seventies. Mm-hmm. So, um, people have been going back to the South in droves, but it's not it's it hasn't had the same um, um kind of like um, attention because now people are being pushed out of the urban centers because of cost. Was before they were being forced in because of cost. <laughs> so now. They being forced out of these larger centers into more rural spaces all over the country. But what happens is when you push people out into those those spaces, those resources that are in that community center, they're not getting out there right. So um, that's something that I want to like you know spend more time with like maybe you know grad school and stuff, but just spend more time with like trying to merge this new world of zoom this new world of like technology like all of these different things and merge that with that rural experience so that people don't have to feel that they have to go be somewhere to get access to stuff to help Mm -hmm. progress forward
0: yeah i love that because i feel like as we progress through this capitalist zoom quote-unquote post-pandemic society uh, things are moving so fast and so iteratively that sometimes we or not even sometimes a lot of times we lose track of the people who are on the margins or who don't have access to the technology or who just aren't caught up with what's going on like we just live in this like production 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 zone
1: yeah and that's by design because you know there's not re- the thing that I learned the most out of my political science classes is that corruption and power and money that ha that's that's a part of the fabric of the human experience. So yes, there's different political systems you can throw in and say, oh, this this one's better, this one's better, and stuff like that. There's clear the ones that are um that have like. Inherent truths to human rights, and there's ones that aren't. <laughs> like, if we do the uh, like for they did a um poll and they were basically saying um had one the votes for who voted for food being a human right, and one of the only countries to vote no, <laughs> United States.
0: The greatest one,
1: yeah. And then we know how much food the restaurants throw away. So then when we start putting together these thoughts. It's like, huh, like. So I think that's one of the things that I appreciated about that lens. And also, I was a student while the whole the whole Trump era was my time as a political science student, and that that was a experience in itself because I was I was in the classes with professionals who thought I was who thought I was like. You know, wow, he really thinks Trump can win. I'm like, can? <laughs> like, He's winning as we speak. Like, are y'all not paying attention to like people? Because I think people get isolated and then like the academic circles. Like, oh, like they start to label who would vote for Trump as this or this, and then it comes to find out, you know, stuff like that happens. And then I'm like, dang, I was telling y'all this the whole time, and I'm, I'm not even, I ain't even got my degree yet i ain't even got like i'm just right. some you're just dude. piecing
0: together the puzzle
1: yeah so i think that's something that i really like to discuss with people is just like because sometimes it's like oh like i don't get into politics but i'll ask them like three or four questions and i'm like you know you kind of a communist
0: you kind of into politics you got me on that one with, like i don't think you ever asked me like specific questions because i knew better than to say i wasn't in the politics around you but um I feel like just hearing you talk to people about politics in that way, it's like, huh, I guess I kind of am more into politics than I would think on a service level. And I think that's why I appreciate like storytelling, podcasting, stuff like that, because people really have just the amount of time that they need to really unpack some of their thoughts or unpack some of their ideas and feelings. Because, yeah, two questions and you're like, yeah, we... Like, maybe you don't think this is political because that's not what the media is putting out. Like, you're not going to be seeing this on the CNN or Fox News headlines, but this is all part of politics and it all plays a role in each other.
1: Yeah, like, just like I said about food, like being a right. Once they decide that, it would fundamentally change everything because now, you know, a bunch of, you know, it would make this like tumbleweed of things happening, but, you know even something else as simple as like um like who's your favorite football team or something oh i really yeah. like football i'm a part of the, i'm like well there's a whole group that's against children playing <laughs> playing football because of the impacts on the brain you know yeah. like because now, now you start to see there's almost a political choice to be made and i think it's more about like not being perfect or trying to have this perfect politic, but more so like, are you kind of reinforcing what you're learning or what your belief is by things you're reading or things you're keeping up with? Or is it something that hasn't been, like, you know, thought about? Because, you know, for myself, I think for a lot of things that I had that were, like, problematic, Within that you know, I'm still working on, but just recognizing that I haven't even read about this
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm just saying stuff at this point, So maybe I need to read a little bit before I just feel like I have such a feeling about it. You know what I'm saying?
0: No, absolutely. And I appreciate you unpacking that to that extent. Um there's quite a few things that I wanted to kind of unpack a little bit further that you mentioned within political science uh but as the video listeners will see i had a little sneeze attack and i desperately need to blow my nose real quick so we're gonna take like a little quick 30 second intermission i'm gonna blow my nose and we'll get right back to it
2: (laughs) crown ellen bay area a proud sponsor of the banquet hall podcast thanks for listening
0: So a couple of things that you mentioned that I really want to touch bases on. I think one uh, kind of was alluding to when you were talking about like wanting Black people to have like a united front and just centralizing like all the different like diasporic Black voices. Of course, you use different words, but um, one of the things that I feel has come up a lot over the course of time knowing you and uh, part of you sharing your story being from Shelby that I think is very important. It's just, well, not even just Shelby, but Shelby, Texas, Florida, you've had a lot of time living in the South and have direct lived experience living in some of those Southern states, as you mentioned of like, you don't really see portrayed in the present time in the media. And so I feel like you did a lot, both directly and indirectly, to really try to help people destigmatize the South in their mind, especially as it pertains to Black Southerners, because I think, especially you bring up uh, the Trump administration and being a poli sci student, uh, and like as like polls were coming in, and oh well, everybody in the South is dumb to think this way, or those types of things that you will be hearing on a day to day basis. And for some people, it's just when you like take out the human part of it, and it's just the South and lumping up all these different folks in there, you don't realize how much erasure takes place in just saying stuff like that. Ah, uh, so I wanted to give you some space to talk a little bit about like what does it mean to you to like destigmatize the South as it relates to black Southerners and just how much impact some of those words and statements can have?
1: I would say just because uh, like, especially um, with things that are uh, a part of our culture that got snatched away, like even cowboys most cowboys was not white <laughs> they were you think they had you think they was gonna be doing that like I don't think people know necessarily what cowboys actually did and do but basically they either like they break horses um they like kind of do the cattle drive they don't do cattle drives and stuff like that the same but there was it was not this thing where like most of them was not going they just reality of what the life of a cowboy was and so then you get into now once you can make money being uh like breaking horses or doing the bullfighting and bull riding and stuff like that now we start to now that's like a white people thing and then mm-hmm. you know, even music like i don't think there is a genre that i can't trace back to somebody in the south started like um, when you look at country music when you look at the blues when you look at jazz when you look at rock and roll um, I mean R&B is really it's on theme soul music like jazz I already said jazz but like um, all of it has some origin even for like so people don't know this like Nirvana like on that Smells Like Teen Spirit that drum that little kuh
2: <laughs> it
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> took that from like black people drumming in the 70s with like disco mm. like it's these ever present parts of like blackness and like people from the south that like I think gets erased because it gets and, like it starts to become marketable and then you can package it out and then make it be from somewhere else and so that what happened like I just watched uh my Rainey's Black Bottom and um that comes out in that because you'll have somebody writing songs making songs they'll be stolen by record companies i mean elvis like i'm just saying elvis i think people just know what i mean by that <laughs> um, so when you start to say well elvis is american all of that stuff then you should have been a black person like that's how i basically look at it like there's no way to have an american culture without a black southern culture like mm. and- um, I think when it comes to especially food, especially food, I would say, um, you know that was one of the things that had one of my my biggest you know, con- like I don't know, contentions is just because like man, I had you in there eating liver much, bro. Like I don't even pe- people don't even know, but I had Kyler in there eating liver much in, in in La Jolla in our apartment, <laughs> <laughs> like just different stuff like that um i know like yeah you know historically this or this like oh that's just the extra parts i'm like what do you think wings is yeah (laughs) no people love wings though people love hot dogs
0: (laughs) hot dogs is your go-to example (laughs) i'm
1: just saying people love hot dogs and stuff and i'm like y'all don't think that's the extra parts? like i just want to keep the logic I just want to keep the logic, like failure. So I think with food, um, just having fish fries, like things being around food, like, um, like I just think that's that's something else that is it starts there and then it moves out. Like it looks different. Like when we go to Flavor Table, yeah, and we got people in LA that's cooking, like people that's like I'm over here, like bro, these are probably some of the best drinks I don't have. Period. <laughs> like and I'm from North Carolina, but that's because that origin point is from an older. Yeah, like, it wasn't from. Just like even my mom, you know what I'm saying, or even my grandma, like them some like, and people people like to think that like we're so detached from slavery, but like I tell people all the time, like my grandma, she's, she just turned, I think she's turning seventy three she picked cotton as a little girl in North Carolina, like missing school to go pick cotton. And like, that was a tangible part of her experience. And my grandma's really not that old, bro. Right. (laughs) And maybe it wasn't like, you know, um, under the guise of slavery, but like the processing of cotton is something that's very intensive for somebody that's six, seven years old to be doing. So I think like when you think of stuff like that and see how we're not that removed from it, there's no need for me to have no shame about that. There's no shame in the crop. The shame is in the people that was dehumanizing others in order to make that that crop profitable. And so then people started to detach from growing things. Like, oh, I'm not going to be out there in the sun and people saving, I ain't going to be out there slaving in the sun. But not realizing how much um, independence comes from being able to decide your outcome and have control over that and being able to um, build something through hard work for real. You know what I'm saying? And like the, now, you know a lot of black farms are failing. Um, not necessarily because of their fault, but because of the impacts of capitalism making, you know, this industrial sized way of uh, of making food that never was the the purpose. Like, you was never supposed to be able to just get wings in a bag. <laughs> There's only two wings on a chicken.
0: You mean you're not supposed to be able to get the thirty two piece frozen in the freezer out of Target?
1: Yeah, like I mean. When you look at it, okay, let's say you got a ten-piece wing, five chickens, folks, five quick, whole
2: chickens. Quick math.
1: And technically, if you want to cut the wings, I guess maybe it's four wings. But I don't, I don't, I don't count them as real wings. Like I want the wing, not oh, this one wing. Is a little flat like that's how they getting us yeah who
0: who do we talk to about that because we eating drumettes yeah
1: these are drumettes (laughs) the wing uh, (laughs) we are getting half a wing actually and they finessing us to do it like it's nasty what's happening right now and about it i think um just how much it enriches your like my life like i have a little garden um and just how much I know, even just with a smidge in more space, like I could have some like some chickens, a couple couple like couple uh goats or something. Like it would just make your life a lot more um easier because yeah, it takes time, but then at the end you're able to be like, dang, like now I'm not paying for me for the next two, three months and I don't, it's just something I'm not gonna buy or something I don't have to think about or a crop that I brought in and now I can use that to trade something else. Um, but I think a lot of that experience is just like, it's lost right now because um, folks haven't had as much experience with people that's actually doing it. Even me, I know for myself, I'm even now, like one of the things is that the rural experiences started like people ain't knowing how to grow stuff like that's not as normal no more like so my grandma know how to grow stuff and so I know how to grow stuff and my mom do and she kept doing it like my grandma has like this garden she grows a bunch of vegetables and plants but like that's not the norm like across like you know everywhere because of the work that it takes like you have to be able to do it able to teach it so I think like that's where my passion is, is making sure that people know different ways that they can feed themselves and not have to depend on, like, this idea that someone else is going to always do it for me. Because, the like, once, like, yeah, it's going to be important always to educate people, but I always tell people, like, it's very hard for me to logically think that people are going to really internalize what i have to say if they're hungry so even with all this political stuff i say or like i might have this ideology my biggest ideology is everybody eats
0: (laughs) hey that's that's essential
1: (laughs) Cause it because there's been no revolution that's happened where they didn't know how they was feeding people that just those never lasted and they spun out and it didn't sustain. You always have to find out how are people going to eat. So if I'm wrong for that, I'm wrong for that. <laughs>
0: hey, that's a that's a good thing to be uh, firm on and just stick to your morals. I think you touched on uh, quite a bit as it relates to the South and even kind of spilled over a little bit into Black people and agriculture. Uh, one of the things I want to make sure that I specifically highlight in case you had more you want to talk about, uh, on the runner show, you put Spottiati Dopalicious.
1: Yeah, so that's a song from Outcast. That's what I named my research project after. So I kind of mm. talked about it a little bit, but basically I um I looked at the different representations that I was seeing in media. Um and then I looked at um how that related to the um Closeness economically to a college or to um, a university, and so when you start to compare the number of universities that's within an hour of Shelby versus the number of universities within an hour of the center <laughs> of San Diego, that's a large part of this. And then you start to look at, okay, well, how many jails is being built, and how yeah. many businesses being built. And you start to see, wow, these places, that prisons probably could have been colleges. And those people that was in there probably could have been in classrooms learning stuff. But that was a choice they decided to make. Um, and I think the more that I did my research, the, uh, just looking at that, I was able to be able to look and say like, yo, like the more that we highlight and make uh the south more visible. I would say Moonlight is another movie that really was a good mm. too. Um where you're able to show people dealing with the realities but also living out some freedom too cuz mm. I think a lot of um I would say urban centric like like bases of um like storytelling one of the things that is I would say, oh, like shown a lot is like, oh, there's nowhere to go. there's I'm trapped, but like out in the country and just out in like you know, there's always somewhere where you can go and just be in the middle of nowhere and exist. And I think we need more space to exist. Mm-hmm. also not like because one of the things that because like Dr. Charles is my advisor, but one of the things he told me was, um, keeping the real realities and not getting lost in um, like um, the idea of like oh, a bunch of black people coming together in terms of like glamorizing it, because at the same time there's a whole lot of like sick stuff to this day, like the the street going into Shelby, named
0: mm-hmm.
1: after the person who wrote Birth of a Nation.
0: Oh wow! So. It's also an interesting concept to hear the street going into a city. Like, yeah. I, it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around like the street.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Dylan Ruth, the one who, uh, who had shot up the church and stuff, mm-hmm. he went to the Burger King. That's going to the street, like mm. by my house.
0: Wow, Dang, that's really close to home, like figuratively and literally.
1: Yeah, so like you know there when i went to high school cuz i was out there for high school for a little bit it was normal for you know there to be like you know clan members like there was a there was somebody in my class um she wanted to show and tell uh, a clan robes that her grandpa had this is this is like yeah. like 20 what 2011 2012. like we are we are far past this you think you think And she was, like, adamant about them being different colors and, um, like, they're not all white and, you know, there's different. And I'm, like, I'm sitting in class just, like, trying to process, like, (laughs) I'm in class. I'm in school, right? Like, and the teacher, it wasn't this immediate shutdown from the teacher either. The teacher just was, like, no, we're probably not going to do that. But let them fully express (laughs) in class and so it's just it's reality but i think that's sometimes what i miss is that mm. there's not that there's not as much of the covert like i'm used to overt, so i feel like it. you see you see the confederate flag truck and confederate flag pajama pants set and walmart you know what time it is and it's okay they, they on that type of time i can be on my type of time and go about my day i think sometimes out here sometimes it somebody will feel so just overwhelmingly upset and I'm just like man you might not make it from the hog. like it seemed like they was getting some chips and leaving you know I don't know if we gonna I mean that's just the reality to it um but it's also knowing like what time people be on like and so yeah. you have to go up to this person and wonder why they're looking at you some type of way. Um, so I think that's something that I miss a little bit is if it's a different it's it's like they call it you know suffocation bone constrictor type of thing or is it venom you feel me I mean either way but I think I'm just more used to that and I think the covert gets a lot more it gets out of the realm of like what are we doing and what are we going to do about it and more in this like mental headspace that I don't like I don't like being it. I don't like being <laughs> in the headspace of like cause that's kinda like what secret invasion is all about.
0: <laughs> hey, no secret invasion spoilers for our listeners No though.
1: spoilers, but I'm just saying like yeah. from the previews you can gather that it's secret. <laughs> <laughs> they invade and still.
0: Marvel gonna have to pay us for the uh slight plug for secret invasion. Um, But I want to start to transition a little bit because I wanted to give the listeners quite a bit of background on who you are, your upbringing, your experiences, how you see the world, because I feel like the more you understand about just what got you to where you are today, the better you can appreciate some of the things you do, uh, both as yourself and your brand, but also through your music. And so uh, not too long ago. Uh, You dropped Catalyst, and you have a lot of other songs as well out there. Uh, For some of our listeners, they might know you from your uh, hit single, BSU Gone Crazy. Uh, (laughs) But I wanted to give you some space just to talk about, like, what got you into wanting to create music and who you are as an – I don't want to just label you as a rapper, but as an artist.
1: I think what got me into music was the fact that I could – I, I think like that. That's, that's my like. I started making music just like it was like on the homie Roberto couch in high school. We just had this regular mic, a little interface, and some headphones. And it was just fun. It was fun. I wasn't getting in trouble. I wasn't into nothing. I was just goofing off, goofing around, being funny and just like able to express like just, you know, and not even trying to take myself serious. I think that's the thing that I love most about making music is trying my hardest not to make myself the subject of seriousness. Um, Cause I don't wanna, I don't, I feel like people take me way too seriously already. Um, so I would like making music where like I'm saying onomatopoeia on a song like I've mm-hmm. never heard the word onomatopoeia on a song or used on a song before, and I was just like, I feel like doing that. So I'm a, <laughs> like, I don't know. It wasn't like this big, super thought out thing, and I feel like it helps me to organically express um, my thoughts and stuff that goes through my head, but also it helps express how my like how I could be thinking in a in a Like, if I'm walking somewhere, what might be going through my head, it really happens in how I'll be writing music. Like, I'll be talking about, like, reparations or something and how that's making me upset that we don't have reparations. And then the next line, I'm like, man, we turning up like, there's so much, there's so much that I like to add into there, but it also shows my interest, because I'll rap about, like, cartoon characters
2: Mm -hmm.
1: who's, like, you know, like, I'll be watching The Office, so it's it's stuff that's, like, me. Like, and I think, um, I think with music, I also am comfortable with it not being this thing that like, I'm trying to, like, I don't know. I feel like for me, I just want people to hear it. Like mm-hmm. i don't even, I know there's no money in streams. People be thinking, I don't know. People be like, I'd be surprised, but I think it's because there's not a lot of education on it. But people be like, like you know, I I w- I wouldn't even call them fans, but I would say people that like like genuinely like my music. They're like, oh, like like how much do you get off your music? And I'm like, yeah. get. <laughs> <laughs> um it's expensive to put these songs together and do all of this and the streams and stuff. Like, I mean, you're that's not nobody, not even the biggest people. They that's marginal what they making off of their music. So, um, but I'm comfortable with not having that be like an integral part of like, uh, my experience making music because I feel like there's enough people doing that. Like, I feel like there's enough people that. Yeah, I'm getting money. I got the new race That's cool. Like, I think there's yeah. a lot of people speaking to that, and they can speak on those activities. I be knowing where I belong. Mm-hmm. I don't belong in conversations about I bought five or six houses last month. That's not.
2: That's I, not you. That's
1: not me, and that's all right. Like that's someone else's story, and um, I think like. I want to always like have a chance to like educate a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and have it not be this thing where I'm trying to say I'm, I know it all or I know everything, but it's just like, I'm sharing what I'm observing and what I've learned. Um, And that's what I really like about making music is like merging together, being goofy, being funny, but also, like, really sharing what I be thinking about. Like, I really be thinking about the crime Bill of uh, 1994 that started a lot of, like, three strikes laws and started a lot of, like, stuff. And I'm like, dang, if that just didn't happen, yeah. like, I would say for a vast majority of people that I know that have, like, family and loved ones that have been, at, like, you know, formerly incarcerated and stuff, they just would have been at home. And that's just wild to think because <laughs> you know but things like that is what goes through my mind so i like to put that on songs so i don't be hearing that on so i don't be hearing people rap about um like how much knowledge was taken from african and black people over time and repackaged for a capitalist purpose mm-hmm. like, i don't be hearing that on a lot of songs so i was like i'm not going to complain about music today because other people be doing oh i I don't like these songs. They don't be rapping about nothing. I'm like they rapping about something you just don't care about it. Yeah. Make your songs. Yeah. Where's your songs at? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm under the like understanding that like, you know, it's not like music isn't for everybody, but I think that's why I like doing it. Like it's not for everybody, but I Enjoy it, so that's enough. We shouldn't always have to have a capitalistic uh association to expression, like to where you're. Oh, you you gotta start painting to make money. Like, if you just like painting, just start painting, man. That's how most of the greatest painters in art history. They was just some guy.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, that's that's my brand, just some guy. Um, but no, I think that's very important for our listeners to hear, just because I feel like I know a lot of people who no one will ever see their art just because they think they need to do something that's going to make money and that is so often like such a barrier for people and i think just hearing somebody who has put some of their craft out there uh talk about how you're in it for the love of the game like you're you're just making music because you want to make music i think that's really impactful because i know so many dope people who are like oh but it's not going to get the streams or it's not going to get the listens or it's not going to get the views or likes. And it's like, well, do you want it to do it for that? Or do you want to do it? Cause you want to do it. And if you do want to do it to monetize and like get the likes and stuff, like that's all cool, but just make sure that you know what your why is. And I think that just hearing you tell that, I think it's going to be very inspiring for a lot of our listeners just because it's real. It takes a lot to get to where you're making money off of artists. I mean, I even get people like, Oh, like, uh how much you make off the podcast i'm like you not even listening to the podcast <laughs> well,
1: like maybe like make like because it's i think in a different time um there used to be this association to like oh you did a lot of hard work so you should get rewarded hard and work don't me shit, right? have, like even if like Cause what? I think something like 350 people have streamed my album once over, right? If they would have had to buy that and they would have had to buy 350 CDs for the price of like maybe $15. Yo. <laughs> yo. We might, you know what I'm saying? In, in in those small terms, like, yeah, they have those record labels that eat all the money in between. Yeah. I think it was more of a thing where somebody could say, like, oh, I actually have people that really, like, you know. And I think that's what things are transitioning to. Because now, I think, once there's more labor unions and stuff like that, that's where things will start to change with music, where it's not just this fast food consumption of it. Whereas my music, I feel like you kind of got to listen to it a couple times, like, just to maybe you might hear something for the first time again. and I, I, I like
0: that about my music. So. Yeah, and I, I like it about it too. And I always enjoy uh, playing your songs or Jeff's songs or Nilla's songs in the car. And people are like, oh, like what's that? Like, that's hot. It's like, oh, you, you don't know nothing about, you don't know nothing about, oh, yeah, huh? you, you ain't heard this one. Something new for you. <laughs> But uh where can people find your music now that they've heard a little bit about your story and about why you created it? If somebody did want to listen to your music, where would they find it?
1: I'm on Spotify you got um you got Apple Music, you got title, um what else is there? I think it might even be on Amazon Music. <laughs> but just Andre one K. Um, that's the artist name and then um Catalyst was the first thing I came out with, and then um, then it was throwing bombs. So I got a few singles in there too. I'm about to come out with some new music too. Um, it's been such a long journey. These I'm sitting on some heat though. I just want to, like just so it's said. I'm sitting on some heat. I think it's been. I think when I made music before, I just kind of was like, oh, I'm trying to do this or this, but I think I want to be more deliberate. So. I'm mm. trying to do this. Um but yeah, more music on the
0: way. More music on the way. Uh have you ever experimented with putting your music out there on Bandcamp, which is something I learned about literally like a week ago?
1: I know what it is, but I haven't thought about putting it on there.
0: Yeah, because the only reason I know about it is because Nella, who was our last guest on the podcast, uh she had me put the or I put the link for her Bandcamp in the bio so where you can buy like her singles or her albums, and it goes directly to support her. Cause I thought about it when you said, like, oh, if those 350 people uh, gave you that $15 for the album, just how much of a difference that would make. So uh, I'm gonna speak it into existence that not too long after this episode is out, y'all start be able to buy Andre's music directly from him on Bandcamp and just to put some money in his pockets. Like, you ain't gotta become a millionaire off your music. Too.
1: Like, cause it's, it's a lot of people, man. I don't think people will be like, like to make a song now, you for, even for you to even hear it correctly that's money yo like
0: there's a lot going into it so it,
1: if i'm able to like you know get a producer some and stuff like that'd be cool like and then we you know that that would be cool so i'm gonna I'm a look into that i'm gonna look into that
0: yeah i mean that's uh we start this where well, i started but we was talking earlier in the podcast about uh the priority being everybody eating that's what the banquet hall is kind of designed to be about too like this is the podcast for everybody is tr- we're just trying to get a meal though we're trying to get the appetizer out we're trying to you know slice us some chicken or some <laughs> some sides, some sweet tea yeah Damn, too,
1: maybe a couple biscuits
0: oh, all that um but kind of uh running the corner to the tail end of the podcast. I have some like quicker questions to ask and just whatever comes to mind is totally fine. Uh, first things first, who are some people who inspire you?
1: People who inspire me, definitely my loved ones. Um, my, my family inspires me. Um, my partner inspires me like she, man, even this morning, like she just how she explains her dreams, how she talks about uh-huh. all that she wants to accomplish in the world, she inspires me so much. My my dog inspires me, Rico. He's uh, he's such a good bull.
2: <laughs> Did he hear you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. He just I feel like he helps remind me to like you know take life like. At a, one day at a time um i would say um like you definitely inspire me like i feel like my inspiration comes more from those that i meet and interact with more people mm-hmm. than the folks that i might never even see but and then those people for me are more so historical figures like i'm really inspired by Like Kwame Torre and Malcolm X and Fannie Lou Hamer, um, she like Zora Neale Hurston, like those are all huge inspirations to me. Like, um, and I think um, I also get really inspired by like like I already talked about my like my family, but my nieces and nephews like Mm. super inspired by them because. Um, man, they the future for real. Like, like for real. Like they really the future. So, just the things that they understand already. That you know, being so young, man. Like you keeping me on my toes. Like y'all, y'all <laughs> me, like you know what I'm saying. So I'm really inspired by that. And um, yeah, I would say those those are my inspirations. I would say like. I have inspirations like artistically and stuff too. Um definitely outcast. I would say like like um Ma, uh, Zero, I'll say um Pete Pablo, um, shoot Gucci Name, like there's a whole bunch of people that like I can tell were a part of my culture because they was getting bumped in the trunk, like, they, like that was what was playing all throughout <laughs> where I, I was at, you know, all the different places I lived in the South is somebody. I knew the song that was somebody trunk was rattling. I was like, all right, I know that song, like Three Six Mafia, like I already know what the song is from how the trunk rattling, and I miss, uh-huh. I miss that about him. like I, I really miss that because I, I mean you can't it's just it's just hard to measure but those are a lot of my inspirations um i'm inspired by um uh, i'm just i'm inspired by a lot of people but i think um it comes back to like the people that i actually like see and like talk to and um kind of bounce energy and ideas off of
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense um I buried the lead a little bit but I want you just mentioned like the trunk rattling so I want to just give you a quick second what was it like when I got a box in the trunk of my little gray mustang driving around UC San Diego's I campus
1: like, I felt like I was at home I felt like this is I felt like you that I was home my my uh my cousin he had a got a Tahoe with 215 in the back and we just be riding around, can not even Like, I don't know. We know it's obnoxious, the OL.
0: I don't think I've ever heard anybody else with a box on campus.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like that. Like, so I think it brought a like, a level of, like, because I think one of the things that I really like, like, Troy, I didn't get to bring of Troy, but Troy really inspired me to, um, that
0: worked at the BRC
1: yeah he um just like well now some years now but uh did the phd program at uh, in, uh Wisconsin and stuff but like one of the things that I always took away from him was just like how he didn't ever feel the need to like code switch and he went on and did the phd thing too and like I was, that's one of the biggest inspirations to me because I always be feeling like damn I, be, I gotta like toning this down when I walk into <laughs> Troy Troy came professional though. Like it wasn't like a I think some people conflate that like like I guess oh you just you know do what you do and you know but the true part of like code switching is not like being able to speak plain. I, mean, I think he always kept that going. That was a big inspiration
0: too. Yeah. Uh and Troy Troy's country. Um so ain't no ain't no doubt about that. And I think that uh, that person for me was probably like people like Dante and Achilles, where they're like, Oh, these are dudes like from the city of Los Angeles and nobody's going to take any part of their blackness away at any point in anything that they're saying, anything that they're doing and they're getting business done and all all that. Like, I, I, I think that just kind of goes back to kind of one of our first topics about the importance of those healthy black male friendships and relationships Uh, because there's so many different people that we encounter throughout our time at UCSD that's like giving permission or affirming the permission to just live truly and authentically in yourself
1: yeah because that's because i didn't even speak on them but like that was a a influence of why i went to polysign too because they was polysign majors and like we was in the lab though like we was like people think you i don't know what people think but we was working like we'd be in the library the little like they had they they had us in this like side library thing where it was just us in there. We didn't, we wasn't all around the library and stuff, but we was working like, yo, doing it. Like you take this class, you can get it. Like this is how you get the A in this class. You gotta do this and this. Like they was putting me on to that, put me on the jobs, putting me on to like research opportunities and stuff like that. Um, And moving through practice. But then once that was over, they was themselves and, and worked as hard as they played. So I feel like that was something that I definitely took away that people what sometimes get lost is like, oh, I got to try so hard, but then never, ever turn up or never do nothing fun. And from them, I was like, nah, they able to, it's balanced because they do both. Like, you got to be able to do both to really make it. And I think that's something I try to always remember, even today. Like, you can't try to work so hard and never, like go out and enjoy nothing even in your whatever version that might look it might not be like you know turning up but it might but whatever that is like really making that happen
0: love that um another thing that i wanted to ask and obviously i know the answer to this but i gotta do the podcast thing and let the listeners know the answer to this why in 1k where where did 1k come from
1: yeah so i when I lived in Texas, one of my homies, his name was Keegan. He uh, I, he always was like, we was always like making fun and like joking with each other. Uh, But he was like, you could be like Andre 3000, but you're one third of his height. <laughs> and then from there, I was just like, I mean, I could, like, I feel like I just doubled down on it. I had a MySpace, so I made a little edit on MySpace Uh, had the like lettering and stuff on there um, on the MySpace picture and it came out hard and I was like yo and then it and then it was like one of my pictures on MySpace that had like a bunch of comments and stuff and then I was just like I mean I'm gonna rock with it and then from there I just kept rocking with it and people just started calling me 1k um, it just stuck. Like, and I always tell people that, like, "Oh, you can't make up your own nickname." I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs>
0: you did, and it stuck. Out. Like everybody knows you, 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 Andre One K. Yeah. Which is a good segue. Where can people find you on socials?
1: <laughs> I'm not on socials as much. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean but. If there is like a place it'll probably like I you can find me on instagram, Andre underscore one k, and I think a link trees on there. I'm pretty sure and it has everything else um and same it's it's everywhere the same, honestly, like <laughs> <laughs> I, I i I had it from the beginning, man, like from the beginning, like I had that. so it might seem simple, but it's Andre underscore one k basically everywhere.
0: got to keep the uniform branding intact um what are some uh let's see you talked about some music on the docket you got some heat you sitting on uh any other shameless plugs or manifestations anything you want to let the the listeners of the banquet hall know as an exclusive of what you got coming around the corner
1: i would say (laughs) (laughs) Um, i would say something that i have on the docket is furthering i want to just manifest like peace and mm. and um health for everybody out in the world i think that's just what i want to manifest that's the first thing that came to my mind like um but yeah just peace and prosperity for everybody listening
0: and then uh Going into takeaways, what do you hope our listeners take away from this episode? And as a second part to that, what did you take away from this episode?
1: So what I hope people take away from this episode is, like, we as Black folks have a lot in common, and we also have a lot of differences. And the more that we honor the breadth of our diversity as a group, feel so like we'll make enough space to where we don't have to um kind of live where we're like in comparison or anything like that. But we able to do it within ourselves and um that's what I want people to take away. And I think my main takeaway from this is like, dang, that's been a lot of stuff. I think that was my <laughs> first that was my first thought just like seeing how old I am much i've experienced and being able to really like sit with like this is a positive part of, of my life and also that like the more that we are able to stay in a space of learning and of like reading and of scholarship no matter how that looks because you don't gotta go get no degree to open up a book. It just isn't a part of the. And a lot of the greatest minds, they weren't stepping foot on a college campus unless they was getting paid. Shout out to Malcolm X. Um, I think Malcolm X stopped school when he was twelve. For everybody that didn't know that, um, and I'm sure he ended up going back at some points. But I'm saying in terms of like, that's what he was working with, and then he read books. Yeah. And, I just want people to not always associate like knowledge with um, those means of measure that align with capitalism, because knowledge can come from a lot of different forms of fashion that have nothing to do with the degree program, but also is valuable.
0: I appreciate that, and um, one thing I want to start doing for at least as a podcaster, when people mention like reading as a form of knowledge, I always want to ask for some type of book recommendation or something that you feel like listeners should pick up and read a bit on or even watch a YouTube summary on like just any piece of literature that you would recommend for people listening.
1: Uh,
0: Besides uh, Obsidian by the Fourth Kyler's Poetry, shameless.
1: (laughs) Besides all of the the, the whole Kyler Nathan universe of books. Um, From the I'll KCU. Say, I would say Asada, definitely. Um, I feel like for a person that might be new into, like, oh, like, I have some critiques of the police, but I'm not sure how I actually feel about these interplanets. I feel like once you read that, uh, I feel like you answer a lot of questions. <laughs> like books answer a lot of questions. Um, and then the next book I would say is um, Negroes with Guns by Robert F. Williams. Um, I would probably need a whole six-hour block to talk about gun rights on Black people. <laughs> I just That can of worms is a large can. Um, I don't know if I got the can opener for that. But um, <laughs> what I do think is that it showed a realistic standpoint of what it's gonna take <laughs> like like not in no like I think sometimes people get into this this world where you know it it they they go too far but I think more than anything um that book shows how much again intergenerationally um protecting your people and protecting yourself is paramount to being a black person so um. The third one, I would say, um, I'm trying to think off top my head, I would probably say um, there's a book. It's called The Dictator's Handbook, and it talks about power and abuses of power and how that interplays in different societies and countries and over time. Um I think those three books really help to like piece together um a lot of like my foundation. So I would I would recommend those three for sure.
0: Thank you for the book recommendations as well as for your time sharing your story with uh the listeners of the Banquet Hall podcast. Uh before we close out, just want to turn the mic over to you to see if there's Anything else on your heart, on your mind that you want to share with our listeners as we close out?
1: Um, I would say find your favorite food and learn how to cook it. Mm. I love popcorn and I learned how to make popcorn myself, like without the ba- like popcorn bag, without the microwave. It's fundamentally changed my life. I can't even, I go to the theaters now, I'm all bougie. I'm like, it's popcorn. <laughs> popcorn ain't really hitting like that. But I think everybody deserves to have that like for themselves to be able to be like, nah, my favorite food. I know how to make it and make it well. So that's something I think everybody should just you know,
0: Yeah. Food for thought, if you will.
1: <laughs> I'm the Queen.
0: You are the corny one, but I've learned the art of the corny from you. Um, but just want to thank you once again, thanking the listeners as well for tuning in for this episode of the banquet hall podcast. Uh, find us on all socials. We are officially on threads and the graphics, even an updated to have the threads logo on the video overlay, uh, but threads, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You put in Banquet Hall pod, you'll probably find us. Um, If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you hit that five-star rating. Uh, YouTube, make sure you subscribe, follow, wherever you listen to. Please, please, please tell somebody else to listen to this. Uh, Shout out to all the Andre's family who's, I know, tuning into this. Uh, especially like I don't know, Andre got the like strongest genes in the world because it's gonna be seventeen people that look the same listening to this podcast. Like y'all all got that that Thompson look, and I, I rock with it. You have a real like vis- Y'all are visibly a family. Like it's like no, nah, they they related. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: Even even my nieces and nephews, I'm like, dang, like you, you look the same.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you all for tuning in. Uh, make leave us a comment. Let you know what you think of Andre's story. Make sure you go stream his music, and we'll catch y'all on a future episode of the Banquet Hall.